Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey everyone, welcome to the fifth episode I can now. I can. The numbers are so small. I Too can small. Look them up and remember them. Right. Uh, the fifth episode of Remap Radio with Rob out on a well-deserved break after helping us do a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff, getting Remap up and running. Although I think they had a meeting with a tax person today, so not fully out. Yeah. But we're trying. <laughs> we're trying to get. And I think we have another meeting with a tax person tomorrow. But we like, do. Well, we're, we're working on giving Rob some some time. Uh, I am uh, your host, Patrick Klubik, and I am joined. My wonderful colleagues, Ricardo Contreras. Hello. It's Renata Price. Hello. It almost sounded like what? you said it almost sounded like you said joint joint. Like you had a little bit of a T at the end. Mm. And it really reminded me of uh <laughs> this fucking guy. I think he's like a comedian actor, or whatever, Brian Jordan Alvarez, who does these characters. He's got this one character who's like a grown man on an in an internship but he has this the, the weirdest i think it might be like technically quebecois accent i have to i have to send this to y'all because this guy is so fucking funny to me i don't know why but adding extra t sounds is like part of the act part of the accent and okay joint joint or like it's yeah jointing jointing joint. me to date Today, yeah, yes, today, today feels Ricardo like something that would exist in that in that accent. Contreras, uh, Contreras sounds potentially real. Renata, priced, Renata, priced. No, I think that's nothing. Renata, mm. Contreras, Patrick, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick, Quebec. I don't like that either. That your 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 name your name fits. Like it's got a, more of a, a a vibe for that, but here's one uh, where he starts out with one just <laughs> well well instead of saying well he just goes well. T- but I, that's uh, I'm not gonna watch this clip at the beginning <laughs> of this podcast, but I will watch that <laughs> later, later later much much like I've been watching uh, I think uh, much like the the rest of the internet been riveted by. Ren, how did you how did you just you just said something about what it is like to watch a situation where people cannot. Wait, are you raising your hand? Yes, I am. I've noticed. Okay. Some, I've I noticed setting, something. I was setting. What did you notice? We did you do an upfront plug? No, Rob didn't send me any text. Okay, he he does My an upfront intro. plug. I'll I'll record something after, and I will. You can 
here, wait, do you want to do, do, you want to do this insert? Here, I got this. I got this. I got this. Do you know it? Join Remap Radio at remapradio.com. <laughs> That's really good. All right, when we finish this, I will, I will, I will, I will add a, uh, a line for you to, to slide in. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But then also slide in Renz. So yeah, it's not no. like it's a group. You know, Part it, of this you know is what? saying you know, somehow, okay, actually, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, um, but, but, okay, can you do this? Wait, all right. Um, I'll record a separate. Yeah. Hmm, no, maybe we can do this. All right. Ren, say your line again, and then I want all of us to say it. And then, Kato, could you layer them over each other like we're on like a PBS? Like, like, oh, oh like, like the opening to Join us at remapradio.com. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Ren, take it from the top, then I'll do it, then, then Kato, you do it, and then okay. layer those like it's a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a, yeah, okay. Join us. Join us. Join us at Remap Radio. Remap Radio. At remapradio.com. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna remake the Radiotopia like sound yes. sound bump yes. at the beginning. Radio yes. with our yes. voices. There you go. Yeah. You're, same vibe. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Ren, before uh we started recording, you had you'd mentioned you you put a, a way of describing what it has been like to watch this Activision. Microsoft FTC trial play out. So there's something along the lines of like what it's like to watch people not say something. Do you know what I'm, do you remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, like watching trials like this is just like watching people who have been given like carte blanche to say anything for most of their careers in the one specific situation where they are not allowed to just say anything <laughs> because they will immediately be fallen upon by lawyers. And I just think that's beautiful because Looking at these headlines and looking at some of these quotes, motherfuckers are getting on the stand and just saying sentences. They're just saying any words in any order, regardless of whether or not they're true or they will get them in trouble. It's great. I love it. We should do this more. <laughs> uh, yeah, love to get true-ish statements from exact, right? Like, it's it's less that they're true. But they're not false, is I think usually where you want to end up, um, which is not dissimilar to how, you know, if you get in a room, you know, as a member of the press with an executive like this, they're they're frequently not trying to lie to you. Yeah. But they're not trying to tell you the truth. And then like that's and, like it get the stakes raise even higher when you have, you know, a 70 billion dollar uh, acquisition on the line and they get even higher when you are under oath and like a part of a, uh, a a trial as is going on. Uh, here, uh, shout, there are lots of incredible reporting that's been been done both in real time and like mm-hmm. holistically uh, for the, the the purposes of this podcast. I want to shout out the team of folks that is doing stuff over at IGN. They have this wonderful article that if you uh, if you pull it up yourself, it's called Xbox's Big Activision Blizzard FTC Trial. What you need to know in our coverage so far. If you pull that one up, they have the headlines that are breaking out a bunch of the stuff that's happening on the stand as various executives and FTC experts have come through and, and given just uh, lots of testimony. I think by the time we record our next podcast, I think there's a chance that this could be settled. Hmm. So or we'll have a much better sense of where things are at. So I think maybe we'll leave out sort of the analysis and how we feel of who's winning, who's losing, uh, and, and sort of like, we'll, we'll let a little more of that process play it out. But instead I, I threw to my colleagues, uh, here on the podcast and it's like, we looked at this IGN list, like what are some of the topics that have come out of this that we think are interesting and that would frame some of our discussion before we kind of get into the weeds of what is actually at stake in this specific trial. Once we have a more, uh, 
uh, settled conclusion. So, Ren, t- take it away. What was what was one of the ones that um, that you wanted to talk about? So, uh, I wanted to talk about the fact that um, apparently, uh, apparently, Sony's spending two hundred and twenty million dollars uh, on games like The Last of Us, uh, which is completely just absolutely uh deranged to me um <laughs> the full the full uh headline uh wa- from IGN was uh da, 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 da. The Last of Us 2 and Horizon Forbidden West budgets accidentally revealed in poorly redacted document both games cost over 200 million to produce which like is just a truly staggering amount of money to be like confronted with uh and and for games that like man i don't know if we need to make them like this i i don't i don't it's it's extremely high risk right so like the specifics in in the document which there's been this happens in legal cases it's it's pretty common but i think it's it's less common for like journalists to be like combing through them immediately uh or uh, to to like to look for specifics and so there's been lots of redactions this information was not meant to be out in the public. Like either someone on Sony's side or someone on the court side mm-hmm. uploaded the wrong and incorrect document. Uh, basically, these numbers were meant to be redacted and then were not and then later were. Uh, and that's actually been the case with a number of these headlines. Like we're going to talk later about some of the acquisition targets that Microsoft had. And that slide is is redacted now if you go to the court documents, if you try to pull them down. That's not the case when they were originally uploaded. But um, from the IGN piece, they... Uh, which is this is very funny. Cat Bailey, shout out to Cat Bailey, who came on a Waypoint podcast to talk about draft day, I think two years ago. Cat's uh, terrific. This line that Cat writes, according to the poorly redacted declaration, <laughs> this is just dragging <laughs> the poor person who, oh, no. who messed this up. Submitted by Sony, The Last of Us Part Two cost some $220 million to develop with a peak headcount of some 200 full time employees. Horizon Forbidden West, meanwhile, cost $212 million to develop and utilized more than three. 100 developers. Uh, the chatter I, I've seen about this online from folks that work in game development, observe the games industry, and and folks I've talked to, they think that number is actually radically conservative and that the numbers are probably higher on the development end. Or if you take the development uh, uh, numbers at, uh, on their face, that does not include marketing and a lot of the other elements that go into uh, getting one of these out the door. You'll see this a lot when, if you read about like in the Hollywood trades, like the Variety and Hollywood Reporter, when they're talking about budgets for films, like, well, this is what the movie costs to make, but then this is what they spent promoting it. So break even or profit is not just building the thing, but then telling people about the thing that you built. And I don't think these numbers include that. And so I think it is actually very easy to imagine these are games that cost, that, that take half a decade to make and cost somewhere close to, you know, $300, 400000000 million in order to actually get out the door, which uh, it plays into Sony's high-risk, high-reward calculus, right? They spend on lavish cinematic games that then sell a bunch based on that lavishness. But if one of these misses, like a day is gone, you know, this is the kind of context I've talked about that game in the past, is like the games need to hit, hit, not just hit. They have to be like triple A, Triple hit. Yeah. Absent I, that, it is impossible to conceive of a, pra- a path to profitability. I mean, like, th- that's that's the thing that, like, I don't even know if the lavishness sells that. Is the lavishness really what sells it? Like, truly, at the end of the day, like, I, I, 
I don't know, like looking at this number and looking at these numbers, plural, just like melts my brain a little bit because like I truly do not need like I don't know if Horizon Forbidden West needed to be the thing that it is. I know this is like a trite opinion at this point, but like it's just seeing the number on the page really puts into stark contrast how these games are completely like overscoped just to the point of like for for the sake of a market that is never going to actually like satisfy I don't know. It just it just bums me out. Uh, I mean, I, I do think the lavishness is part of the pitch here, right? I think like Sony, if you look at their lineup of games, the the newest Final Fantasy, like last of like they all, they're different games in different ways, but they have a pitch, and it is going to be gorgeous, cinematic, a spectacle, and that is expensive to make, and not getting cheaper especially as they set the bar for themselves uh sort of higher and higher uh as as these things go along i mean i'm with you i mean i don't know how much you can say or even want to say but i know you know i know we you know you've talked about the fact that you're working a little behind the scenes you know working on a game obviously i don't think <laughs> you're working in the 200 million dollar range but you're you must be at least aware to some degree of Oh, I know how much we're asking how those... for. I'm like in those conversations. Right, right. So you have a sense of scale, like what when where money is, where it's spent, and yep. like what X amount would mean to yep. a team. Yep. Obviously on the, the lower end of, if we're looking at this at the higher end, but I, I wonder like even in these early days, I don't know, like what have you taken away from having a better sense of, of the math? We're looking at like a two to three year development time, uh, which means that, after the after we get funding so post funding we're looking for like two years development time we are like a 12 person team uh we are asking for dollars uh total uh for like three years of we're we're about right we could probably Mm -hmm. get our budget down to like we've talked about like reducing our budget for like better chance of getting publishers but like we that is the number that we're looking at right and like what does that pay that pays our like we have a full breakdown in our pitch deck so like that pays our salaries that pays which of which there are six full-time people so we're looking at six full-time people for uh six full-time people uh six to seven contractors uh part-time contractors uh and then uh all of our insurance costs all of our gear costs uh and then I think also that includes our marketing budget, uh, a little, a bit of our marketing budget. But so, like, that is what like the budget of like a small-ish scale indie game looks like, right? For like mm-hmm. a, a an indie game that is built by a team, capital T, uh, and that is trying to you know be be built full time uh, is like is like for like two two years ish, right? Uh, and I think that's part of why this number is like melting my brain so much is that is being asked for games that like I do not see as like, I just don't know where some of the money goes. Right. Like, like I, I, you probably I cannot... can't, you probably can't account for it at, at a certain, right. Like there yeah. is, there's probably an inherent amount of waste related to making games at this scale because you're just not going to be able to micromanage to the same degree that you are doing either because you have to because you don't have that much money there isn't there isn't wasteful money to be spent right like every every penny counts towards paying people giving them a decent livelihood and also allowing the game to get made and so i i be i i can't speak to this 
uh, specifically. I haven't, I haven't sort of asked anybody, especially in the context of these numbers coming out. But it would not shock me to learn that th- these games are not models of efficiency, but that is built in to the model is that they're not they're not going to be efficient. But when they come out and especially once you have things like the PC pipeline, right, like th- that's in the same way that Hollywood used to have before it was like direct to streaming and things like that. It's like you come out in a theater, you sell a DVD, you go to cable. Like there are different ways to make money. And now at least that's this partially explains some of Sony's embrace of the PC market because, hey, like after you've saturated PlayStation players after a year or two years or whatever, like why wouldn't you want to sell another couple million copies? Because how else can you justify games at this scale, especially if you're trying to back, especially if you're trying to backstop for the possibility that one of them underperforms. Um, and that hasn't really, ha- we haven't really seen Sony deal with a game of this scale completely bomb, right? Like days gone is the closest equivalent we have to that. And that game didn't bomb. Like it did well. It didn't do as well as these games. Um, and I think that's, you know, part, part, part of a complex series of factors that led to Sony not wanting to green light a, a sequel, but I'm with you. Like the, the the response I've seen from lots of he, indie developers that I follow on places like social media was like two hundred million dollars. What would I even do with that money? And I I think that's I, I think that's an understandable response uh, to to all this. Kato. Uh, so one thing that's wild here is let's let me double check the the source on this. I was trying to figure out how many people worked on The Last of Us. And the number that gets floated around a lot is the 200-ish full-time employees. But apparently, over 2,000 people, if you include everyone who was contracted, over mm-hmm. 2,000 people worked on that game. Yes. Um, it gets complicated when you're talking about outsourcing and, right. and, and all. Like, it, it, gets re- it gets complicated. 14 really different studios worked on that game right so it's like uh that's that's a massive amount of people being paid out and it's just like it's also unbelievable how even with that amount of labor force behind it people were still being Being fucking underpaid yeah well yeah well forced to crunch like overworked it's like there's at some point there's just no amount of extra labor that will like help uh, alleviate the like mismanagement and like kind of uh taking advantage of uh, upper management like it's it's it, that that honestly like kind of even hit me more than like the number because the number if you like doing very iffy math you can kind of see where the money gets that high and yet we know QA testers are severely underpaid we know that people were forced to crunch to make the Last of Us two we know that like even if the numbers were to add up correctly there's obviously something wrong with the structure of these studios because there are people still being underpaid wildly. Right. So I've done the math. Uh, I, I decided to do, to do some quick math and assume that Sony uh, was looking at uh, 2,000 employees, like 2,000 employees, 2,000 people working on this game, right? Yeah. 2,000 people who worked on uh, The Last of Us, right? Let's, let's use that one. Um, at 220 million, that leaves you at about, theoretically, 100,000 per head uh, right. of budget, right? Right. 
but like but people are not being paid a hundred thousand and we know some people are being paid much much more than that um some people are paid much 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 more than that but also like kato your the contractor point is worth bringing up because like if we're talking about contractor salaries for this project like chances are people are being paid like maybe a couple k like even through like a major contracting studio for their work on this game and like you know this money goes pretty quick but it's you know, it's it's going to CEOs very quickly. It's going to, yeah. like, the people who run these contracting studios, never the people who, like, are actually, like, working on these projects and are, like, inevitably horribly fucking mismanaged. Well, but and the, the, the structure of these, if they were paid, let's say they were paid appropriately, right? Then the number gets, like, exploitation is built in to making this work, right? right? It's not, it's actually very similar to blockbuster filmmaking. I was pulling up, um, there's been a string of, High-profile box office disappointments this year, especially on the superhero side. Like this kind of started with Ant-Man, Quantumania earlier this year, a movie that, according to Variety, uh, you know, opens to 106 million dollars, but uh, it was it had a production budget of 200 million and uh, a marketing spend of 100 million dollars, right? And this is an industry in which there have been plenty of articles written about the intense crunch. And exploitation and underpayment of probably people up and down the ladder, but there's been a lot of focus, especially on the visual effects artists that mm-hmm. make a lot of the 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 engine go on these effects heavy productions. Yeah. And I imagine if you were making these movies at the pace that included no exploitation and then also paid people appropriately, they'd take longer and cost a lot more. Yeah. And so to some degree they have to operate under, and this is where you get increased outsourcing, right? Like outsourcing is like itself prone to uh, more exploitation and, uh, fi- you know, financially more viable for, for budgets. And there's, there's a reason we've seen a lot of that happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's wild. It's these, these numbers are really hard to wrap your head around, but also go to show. I think at some point I saw a number uh, float through that, you know, part of the reason Sony would be concerned about Call of Duty going away is they make something like $800 million off of, I don't know if that's like annual, like per time, but like mm-hmm. they make a lot of money off of Call of Duty. And like you need those other revenue sources to prop up the foundation of your platform, which is, you know, a game like Final Fantasy 16 uh, or or The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, all right. One of the stories that I found interesting um was uh microsoft considers buying final fantasy maker square enix which is really just a uh touching on something that we've seen come up multiple times throughout this trial which is different acquisition targets that microsoft has had over the years going as far back as pre xbox like basically in the run-up to the the xbox uh series x uh and and trying to kind of bolster the portfolio of the of the of the company um it's it's square enix it's uh sega it's io interactive it's bungie um these are all companies that have been part of sort of like hey is this a you know an m&a uh m&a play like a, a merger and acquisition play that that microsoft uh, could do i don't think any of this is shocking i if you think sony doesn't have a similar list you're kidding yourself like mm-hmm. all, all these all all big companies at this scale are doing analysis of 
not only their competitors, but possible acquisition targets, especially in the last five years where there was so much money floating around that was easy to get at low interest rates. It wasn't quite free money, but it made purchasing things a whole heck of a lot easier, which has encouraged a lot of this consolidation, uh, both in the games industry and surrounding it in the last uh, five years. But I think like some of these are, are interesting because Sega Square Enix, I think very, very much speak to a lack of a certain type of game that is is usually being published on Microsoft's platforms. We've seen them try to make up for it in Game Pass deals, right? Like they they may not have bought Sega, but Yakuza at this point I more associate as an Xbox franchise at this point between all the Game Pass deals. Um, all the new Atlas stuff was announced like at Microsoft's showcase, even though many of those are coming to every other platform. And uh uh, you know, Destiny was on Game Pass. Like all of the Destiny expansions yeah. at one point were were on Game Pass for a period of time. So when they sometimes when they haven't actually gone through an acquisition for whatever reason, either they were rebuffed or the financials didn't work out, you've seen them use something like Game Pass to bring in similar sorts of of games that they otherwise might have actually been part of their broader portfolio, but then it's them uh, become uh, part of part of Game Pass. Uh, kind of, I'm curious what you make of. This what if scenario of Bungie yeah. going back to Microsoft, Destiny God, being back after Microsoft famously passed on Destiny and yeah. that being part of the reason that they Bungie got out of Microsoft and then partnered with Activision for the early years of of Destiny. I don't know. Like, what, what do you? What, what comes to your head when you imagine this? This what if scenario? We, again, bizarre, we have no idea how honestly. serious any of these any of these were. It was just on a document. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it. It it seems weird because that especially you know given given that they like passed up on it uh, they they ended up doing a lot of deals early on with with PlayStation there was like the Destiny branded PlayStation three uh, four when it came out the the all white with the cool like logos and stuff on it and it's just um like I still associate it on in the console space I still associate that the that game with. Mm-hmm. With with PlayStation a lot because of those deals that happened early on, um, it it would have been weird to see, um, especially given where Bungie has wanted to go with like setting up crossplay and letting people play no matter what platform they're on. Like it feels like that's the type of game that Bungie wants, and it being locked to one console, I don't know how well it survives partially because I think a little bit of like their 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 trick there was like get the community to be as united as as possible because there's so many aspects of the game that require you to have uh players available to fill playlists right like if the wait is too long for to get into a strike because nobody's logging into that specific strike like like we saw this with with a uh, fucking stadia stadia mm-hmm. was boxed away kind of because of the yeah. way that that technology worked and there was no community for it there and like that was a kind of also more of a stadia specific problem but it it kind of showed a, an alternate path of like if that was locked to like one to just xbox if xbox had bought bungie in those early days like it it it's entirely possible that it just doesn't become as as big as it has right um, it's entirely possible we're not getting we we don't get marathon right now, and they're still just kind of plugging away at Destiny, making it like break even, right? Instead of it being like, oh, Bungie is independent off of the back of Destiny at this point. 
Yeah. Uh, and I, I, just from a pure optic standpoint, as Halo has faltered or had its struggles, however you want to characterize <laughs> the current state of the Halo franchise, boy, it would have been awfully weird to yeah. purchase the creator of Halo and then be like, now we're off here fucking this up. But, uh, I mean, you keep doing your Destiny thing. Yeah. It's fine. You don't want to work on Halo. Oh, you don't <laughs> want us to keep fucking up Halo? Yeah, I guess we could just keep doing it our way. It's worked out real well yeah. so far. Everyone seems super psyched That's and happy. That's the actual... continue to bleed talent. Like, but I don't want Bungie to work on another Halo game. Right. Like, I don't want them to work on Marathon either because they... I want a single player. But, like, they should make the games they want to make. And yes. I, I wonder if there'd be some sort of external, some sort of pressure to get involved in Halo again in a way that I think it's th- th- as a studio, they wouldn't be the, 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 the urge would be too high. Like, yes, they would have to, right. It is the studio that brought you the Halo. The thing that still screams Xbox, even as bad as it's gotten, like it is still the thing you think of when you he's think green. of Xbox. He's, he's green. Chief like green. the Xbox has the green logo. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, if you had Bungie under Mike, there's no way they don't try it. There's 0% chance that they do not try to force them to make something in the Halo universe again. So it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm happy where they let that, that personally, I'm enjoying, uh, Bungie. There's a lot of people aren't, but <laughs> you like the current state of Destiny? Yeah, it's fine. Wow, congratulations. But that's, that's separate from who seems excited about the current state of destiny. Good. But nobody blames it on truly. Sony, right? It, that it seems like the a more natural ebb and flow yeah. of Bungie's own relationship with yep. its audience than it is oh, Sony bought them and as a result, because they're doing content analysis of, you know, like the, the Last of Us live service game that seems to have been kind of we're just going to pretend that game doesn't <laughs> exist after Bungie looked at it and yeah. apparently uh, said that it, it doesn't really work or was going to have some troubles, which was according to some reporting from from Bloomberg uh, some weeks back. Uh, but kind of what the, the story that you pulled out, um, what, which one did you? Yeah. Which one did you find striking? Um, well, the one that I found striking is just uh, funny to me because of how like these arguments are so silly but Phil Spencer confirms Starfield was potentially going to skip Xbox prior to Zenimax acquisition like uh and the argument goes basically that like uh, Sony was getting uh you know a bunch of uh Bethesda titles that were exclusive they mentioned Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop and Starfield I don't know in my mind, when I think Starfield, when I think things like big franchises like, uh, like uh, Fallout, which this is basically fall, their Fallout in space, right? It is one of these big, mm-hmm. tense releases by Bethesda that is a, that is you know on the scale of the next Skyrim or whatever. Uh, I can't imagine a world where that's exclusive. Like I don't think either platform holder has enough money to actually make Bethesda make that exclusive. Well, in, in this piece, uh, Imran Khan, who yeah. uh, used to be a reporter over at uh, game informer and has done some collaborations with kind of funny, uh, reported, uh, in this is in 2020, um, uh, Sony had been in negotiate. Sony had been negotiating timed exclusivity on Starfield as recently as a few months ago, going to guess if those talks are done or the price suddenly went way, way up. Um, right. And then, uh, then around this time is when the the acquisition of Zenimax is announced by 
Microsoft. So I don't know. I'm with you that it doesn't seem yeah. like the kind of game. But also, Sony's done this enough times with Final Fantasy that we're back to the PS1 era where right. you would be totally... If you just ask the average person, mm-hmm. does Sony own Final Fantasy or Square Enix? Yes. Like, you could reasonably say yes. Yes. Because <laughs> they, they essentially, like between their different marketing or development deals, we don't have great insight into... On the back end, what is Sony promising to to get? Yeah. You know, something like a year of exclusivity or some sort of timed ex- exclusivity for games like Final Fantasy VII or uh, Final Fantasy sixteen. But but it does feel like we're back back in those days. We're like they may as well be they could exclusives, and Sony is maybe. tying them up financially. And it does sound like it, maybe they weren't going to score Starfield. Yeah, but they were interested enough to have the conversation about it. And from I imagine from Bethesda's perspective. Look, there's the running joke about Skyrim, yeah. Where th- now they've hit every platform, but like every six months, it's like, oh, here's Skyrim they again. They sold another four million co- <laughs> copies of Skyrim because it came out on blank, yeah. or it was a re-release on blank. And these games are so big and so impactful that I don't know if you say arguably it's a better situation, but you could concede like whatever money you're getting to say exclusive is going to buffer you before you get around to releasing a game of the year edition Mm -hmm. 18 months later on every other platform. Uh, So I I don't think it's as uh, far afield to have star fields. No, 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 no. Patrick, come on, let's, let's get, no, come on. Let's roll it back. Let's roll it back. Let's give him a second pass at it. God, I'll cut that one out too. We weren't ready. Don't don't put me out there. Don't put me out there. I got you. I got you. I got you. He's, Kato's not going to cut that. Uh, so well, uh, yeah. I it's but yeah. It it is it does seem like the scale of game that wouldn't fall into that bucket. But I think if anything, that speaks to the cutthroat nature of where these exclusives have gone. Mm. That I feel like wasn't as big of a deal last generation, but feels like it has be- become. I don't know when this trend started up again, but they it, like the idea that a game like Starfield that otherwise you would think of as just. Of course, that's going to be on everything. Why wouldn't they want to sell a million copies, yeah. bajillion copies on every single platform? And yet, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place where the, they at least had the, like Ghostwire and the Deathloop makes sense to me because they're right. smaller scale. Ghostwire, especially, that just feels like a kind of a niche PlayStation. Like th- th- none of that shocks me. But Starfield, I'm with you. Like I, at first blush, does not strike me as the type of game that would fall into that bucket. And part of what Spencer, Phil Spencer, the head of, of Xbox, was saying was that hey, we essentially caught wind of that or made some assumptions and like, it's very easy to imagine that you want you, if they're going to go, if they're negotiating for some sort of exclusivity, if the price shoots up, well, gee, it sounds like we're negotiating against someone right. who would they be negotiating against? Right. Um, and, the, and well, the, the other thing is it, this is a very funny like thing to include in this filing because the whole point of them trying to stop it is, you know, it's, 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 it's like anti-competitive, right? Like if you buy, if you become a monopoly, like nobody can fight against you. There's no, there's no sense of competition. And the argument that Microsoft is making is like, we had to buy them to stay competitive, but that inherently takes competitiveness out of the market because now they are owned by you. The other person can no longer bid against you for those titles, which means you're you're doing the thing. You're becoming a monopoly, right? Like they're which is funny because like- Sony themselves actually said, "Well, actually, we don't think Starfield's anti-competitive." But I, I understand but what like, you're saying, and that's the broader FTC yes, argument. Yes, is that look, you know, what Sony is doing is getting exclusives, but they're paying for the 
rights to the exclusives from the production companies that are making yeah. the games. And, you know, in theory, you could just offer a higher number. Right. And also get that. I think it's more complicated than that. I think they're like longstanding. Right, totally. Like regional histories and like overlap synergies with, you know, like a company yeah. like Square Enix, which is why Square Enix has always been and like Sony, you know, pitched as a very Sony, common acquisition target for Sony eventually. Yeah, and Sony like Sony has done this too, obviously. They've also been acquiring a bunch of people. But it's yeah. just funny to use the the example of, well, we were going to be boxed out of the market, so we had to acquire someone and become bigger and become this thing that the FTC is trying to But that's part of their stop. whole thing is like, no, nah, we're so bad <laughs> we're at so this. I'm just a little guy. Well, frankly, I don't know that you do know how to make video games. That has oh, like been a I consistent problem. Oh, I dropped 212 million times. <laughs> Help. <sighs> oh. <sighs> All right, before we wrap up this segment, Ren, you, you had one more that you wanted to, to hit us with? Yeah, I wanted to hit us with, uh, as aside from game budgets, I would love to hit on uh, the notion that Game Pass is value destructive or Jim Ryan <laughs> promising you that he talked to a bunch of publishers just off screen. He promises they're all standing in the room and they're clapping. Um Effectively, the Sony uh, boss, uh, sorry, the PlayStation boss, Jim, uh, quoting from Taylor Lyles. Oh, shout out to Taylor. Um, According to PlayStation boss, Jim Ryan, video game publishers do not like Xbox Game Pass. Um, A fact that is uh, not uh, super founded, which is why I think it's very funny that Jim Ryan just says this in the middle of this uh, deposition, including only uh, to, to borrow from the piece. Uh, Take Two CEO Strauss Zelnick is one video game executive who remains unconvinced by Game Pass. Speaking during a financial call in November, Zelnick said of releasing Big Games Day and Date on a Microsoft subscription service, I still don't think it makes sense, and I believe it's now becoming obvious that it doesn't make sense. It's just a lost opportunity for the publisher, so I wouldn't want to speak for my friend Phil, but our views remain unchanged. I think that, like, the changing economics of Game Pass are really fascinating to me, because, like, Microsoft's strategy is, like, very clear. Charge Game Pass for $15 for, like, an insane deal for long enough that, like, the market gets weird. And then, you know, suddenly it doesn't have to be $15 every month. Uh, suddenly you can you can multi-tier it um, and, and make money. But, like, you know, I simultaneously get why smaller developers take these Game Pass deals all the time. Because if Microsoft comes to you and says, hey, we're going to give you, you know, X million dollars or X hundred thousand dollars for the rights to put this on Game Pass... it's hard to say no to like a guaranteed hit, especially before a game comes out because like a lot of these game pass deals, the ones that are, that are being discussed here uh, to borrow from Zelenik same day and date game pass release is going to be like, you know, you're negotiating for that before you're releasing the game. And you know, if it's going to be have like any, it's guaranteed income. You you can find yourself a path to profitability or at least break even ahead of selling anything. And yes, you may be cannibalizing, a huge majority of your Xbox sales because maybe most people end up playing it through Game Pass as opposed to purchasing, you know, a digital license to it uh, or buying a physical copy if it exists. But I'm with you. Like, I I have talked to enough smaller game developers where those deals, especially in a market where it is more and more difficult as an indie developer Mm -hmm. to stand out and to have any sort of financial, uh, like, guarantees, like, that's a guarantee. It's a check that shows up. Yeah. It is it is a number it is a hard number to work against. And even if you have your own preconceived notions about whether 
this type of Netflix style uh, approach to game distribution is a positive or a negative for the industry. I mean, look at the end of the day, like if you're just trying to, you know, put food in your table, pay the people that you work with, like the check is the check. Yeah. Um, I do think it's like a broader question of like whether this is what, the, like what, what sort of broader ramifications this can or will have in the future on video games as a whole. Um, but those are also kind of unanswerable. And I don't think it's directly analogous to the streaming transition that has mm-hmm. happened in Hollywood. I, I understand that argument. And I think we've been pretty clear on this podcast that we, I think the FTC, even if they go down swinging and at, at times have looked kind of cringy and the questions they've asked, like this whole process is, is, is bleeding the industry for answers and accountability. And that is a net good. It is good that even if this goes through, and I don't think it's going to lead to, like, I don't think Microsoft's going to suddenly have a monopoly on the games industry, yeah. nor do I think that it's, it's, it's necessarily has a, a huge impact on where or if cloud gaming like becomes a broader thing in the future. But if you want to spend $70 billion, motherfucker, get on the stand and tell me why. <laughs> and like that, I, that has been, I think there will be ramifications. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the FTC is going to lose, but, I think it will have ramifications going forward that are healthy as a society for the games industry. Like it's basically someone doing the work, double checking mm-hmm. the math. And I, I I don't like so much how this has all been pitched as a as a, a wrestling match. Like, oh, like this FTC expert like is a dumbass and said this said this thing that doesn't make sense and like the how, how do they not understand how video games work? I'm sure if we were all paying attention to legal cases this carefully. Stuff like this happens all the time. And sure, maybe you'd want the FTC to have a little more knowledge for something of this scale, but they've gotten it this far and they're making a lot of people have to say a lot of very uncomfortable truthisms about the games industry. And I'm glad I know more about what these people think yeah. about the video game industry. Yeah. I'm glad that we've had to have this this frank discussion as an industry as this, as this case has gone forward. And I still think Activision is probably going to buy it and they're still going to be pretty much in third place. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's going to move the needle all that much. But I'm, I'm, I, I think broad strokes, it has been a huge positive. Ren, Patrick, how much time have you spent doing like legal reporting, like looking actually at like the the physical, like looking through evidence, like looking through what has been like posted at like you know government websites, et cetera, et cetera, like looking at like the actual like legal documents being discussed. I'm just curious. A handful of times, not not certainly not my expertise. It's 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 not. I would not um, claim to have a any sort of expertise in it. Okay, so one thing I'll say is that like I've I did not act as like a full time games journalist for that long. Uh, however, I did spend a lot of that time looking through court cases because I found it really interesting. And like if I could have chosen a beat like any day of the week, I probably would have chosen like legal reporting because I think it's really interesting. Um, one thing I'll say is that like. An expert saying something really stupid uh, or like completely out of left field on like a on like the stand is like that's part and parcel, right? Like I remember when uh, we were we were at Vice and uh, I was like looking at something in the Activision Blizzard trial and there was like some pretty insane claims being made uh, in a one of the Activision Blizzard settlements uh, and some like pretty like ridiculous sentiments uh being posted about like the way that the game industry works um 
in an itemized list of points in that court case, that was point thirty four of like forty eight to fifty. Like at a certain point, a, a strategy in legal cases is to just hit your hit the other team with team. You know what I mean? Hit mm-hmm. like the other person in the suit with as many arguments as possible that they have to like deal with. Right? Like that is like even if it's a even if they're saying something like kind of silly or dumb, that's still time taken in the middle of a court case to be like. No, it's actually this, right? Like they are, if you say something dumb, the onus is not on you to prove that it's real in this specific situation. And so like, this happens in court cases all the time. Yes, sometimes the shit people say is funny or a bit out of left field, but like an expert or like a weird like side note in like a legal case is like pretty, pretty standard. Uh, And, you know, I think that framing this as the big ultimate battle between gamers, capital G, uh, and the government who doesn't understand how video games work is, like, I think a very silly way to, like, look at this and, like, completely misunderstands, like, how these cases, like, actually play out in a courtroom uh, and, and like, in the documentation. Uh, I agree. So shout outs to IGN and lots of other outlets that are doing the work of trying to either be at the courts and relay this to us, like hop on Zoom calls where the courts just refuse to pay for a bigger license uh-huh. so that more people can watch. I think the license caps out at a thousand. So folks that can't go in person are just refreshing, like just crossing their fingers at the beginning of the day when the Zoom call goes live and hoping that, yeah, I don't know how the Zoom algorithm picks or like, is it like a ticket master, like queue system? I, I don't know. I have not been... A part of this, I've just been able to enjoy the fruits of the, the labor of, of other folks, but uh, I've been delighted by all, all the folks that have been doing excellent work covering and contextualizing uh, all of this. And uh, yeah, I, we use IGN as our our, our uh, kind of crutch today, and they've been they've been killing it. They've been doing a lot of really good uh, stuff. So shout out to Cat Bailey and Rebecca Valentine and Taylor Lyles as well. There, yep, yep, yep. A lot of they have a whole team of people that have been covering this and doing a really good job. Before we take a break and talk about some other stuff. I do not want this to slip away two podcasts in a row. Thank you. So, Ren. <laughs> yeah. You've been on an odyssey. I've been on an odyssey. Uh, some, would, some would call it an Etrian odyssey. Yes. I don't know if you've been on three of them and if they've been in high definition. I have been on three have of to, them, at least. Really? Wow. Yeah. I've been on at least three et- expeditions, uh, three odysseys. Um, Are the definitions high? I would say so. I would say, well, <laughs> I've been playing it mostly on my Steam Deck. Uh, okay. But so the definition is in fact pretty low, but it's on a very mm-hmm, small mm-hmm. screen, uh, and so you know it's twelve hundred by eight hundred, which is still technically HD. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Twelve. Twelve. I think technically, twelve eighty-seven twenty. Seven twenty p is right. the low end of HD. All right, and Patrick. Low D. Hey, I'm reporting from the front lines of the Odyssey. The definition is high. What's what's happening out? What's there? happening what's, out there is so Etrian Odyssey. For those of you who haven't played it, is a dungeon crawler. Uh, it is a like tr- very traditional dungeon crawler, uh, insofar as like you are working on like a grid map in first person, moving through a space with a little party of people, uh, and then the combat happens, and then you just keep that is the game, right? The whole game is just moving through this little dungeon. Uh, there is like some like light narrative framing in Etrian Odyssey three. Um, you're exploring a labyrinth and Odyssey. Like it is, it is. Etrian Odyssey 3 is specifically about, like, the sunken city uh, and is about, like, moving through, like, an overworld map and there's, like, a big dungeon, but it's taken me a while to get there. 
because folks to the I, sunken city yeah i fucked up the economy real bad okay. i fucked yeah, up were, the economy so bad i fucked up the I economy so badly you did mention some huge fuck up that you had to dig your way out of i remember this coming up yeah during a pre-show yeah what happened so what happened was uh so in entry and odyssey you have a party of adventurers you have a guild you take them into the into the dungeon you fight monsters you collect resources from the monsters you you go back and you sell those resources to buy new weapons very traditional right you also have to pay for healing and here's the thing the entry and odyssey games aren't particularly nice and so if you play on the intended difficulty, like the, the, the Etrian Odyssey player's difficulty, which is expert, oh boy, uh, normal enemy encounters can actually like really drain your resources. Even if they don't like kill people outright, they will like leave them really hurt. And it got to the point where to fully heal my party, it would cost like 50 bucks. And that's if no one died to like fully heal everyone and get back to the dungeon. An average dungeon run was netting me like about 100, 150 bucks. That's great. It costs 50 per person to revive them at a certain point in the game's economy. Ooh, ouch. (laughs) And I did not have anyone on board uh, my guild who was trained in gathering resources from the environment because I didn't realize that they sold for way, way more money uh, than the, uh, like, monster parts. And so what happened was I basically kept doing like monster fighting runs without gathering like resources. Uh, and I ran out of money. Uh, and the problem with running out of money is that I could not. Uh, <laughs> I want to take that kind of just Rob or kind of put that on the soundboard. The problem, the problem with, with running, running out of money, money is <laughs> yeah, the problem with running out of money is that um, all of the people I had who could protect the people who were doing the resource gathering were dead and I didn't have mm. the money to revive them. Whoa. And so I had to do uh, what was probably like looking at my play count. I think I like eight hours of play count, not including my deaths. Um, if you include my death, it's probably closer to like 10 or 12. Um, eight hours uh, of, of uh, uh, play time, about three was dedicated to having to raise up a new party of adventurers from scratch by just hiring on new people in order to get people who are strong enough to get the resources to pay off my other character's medical debt effectively <laughs> like i had i had bitches who were good fighters waiting in the wings on injury and like i had to like draft a bunch of new people to be like all right well damn our star player is not here right now you Sorry, though? on ir on ir the rules state they cannot come back in <laughs> yeah. for another three weeks sorry hey eric listen i know you just got here but you will be going into the dungeon and you will be being killed by monsters eventually we will have the money to revive you but until then it's not looking good uh and so i had to Wait, do-, do they just end up in a hospital but like they're you have to spend money to get them they're just dead eat? okay but you can take the their soul they they can be brought back yeah, you can dead go to is the not inn. dead yeah you go to the inn okay. and you say can you treat my buddy over treat my buddy are over here are you just dragging a corpse around <laughs> yes like, yeah. just in case just, yeah just in case i loved eric the game I uses the eric. word died <laughs> <laughs> and so like that fucker's dead yeah and it's like all right yeah eric did get mauled by a bird yesterday however 
Mm-hmm. Here's ten dollars. Can you heal him? Was and the, the burn particularly the healing... big? Uh, was it? Was it a small? Yes. Okay, it, it at least no. wasn't like he got pecked at, pecked at by a small bird. Get bit by a smaller. Wait, Kato, have I ever shown you the video about Sam the Raven? There's a YouTube video that I've loved for years of a man explaining why you shouldn't have a raven as a pet. Uh, and in that I, video, yes, yes, there is a line that I think about at least once a day which is this man, furious, staring at the camera, and he goes, hey, get bit by a smaller bird. <laughs> and then and, it, and then it goes on to, like, explain more. Don't, but don't I just think about get bit by a, get bit by by a, a sm- smaller bird. <laughs> get yes. bit by a smaller bird is such an insulting thing to say to someone, because it's like, you, you can't, can't handle, handle a big bird. Yeah, you can't handle the raven. The crow. Right. There is another. I'm telling you that there are bigger birds that you could be bit by, and it's not happening. Uh, you couldn't handle it. Yeah. Get bit by a smaller bird. But I got bit by a big bird, and Eric died. No. Uh, and the thing is that, like, all of your characters, the cost for healing them goes up as they get stronger in level. Uh, and so it took me a long time to be able to, like, stock up the resources to pay off all of my medical debt and then start like then began the process of me doing dungeon run after dungeon run after dungeon run just strip mining this place for resources um as i try and get enough money to buy like actual gear for my characters so they can survive fights and like that took a huge amount of time and like all of this comes together to like make Entry and Odyssey like kind of fascinating to me because at its core, like it is a game about drawing maps. Uh, it was originally released for the Nintendo DS. It is a game about map making. The whole thing is that the bottom screen was originally used for map making on the Steam Deck. Uh, right now, I can use the Steam Deck's little touch screen to do a mouse to draw on my to draw on my little maps. Right? Oh, um, yeah, it works great. Um, and so, you know. I'm I'm going through these dungeons, doing my little maps. But the thing is that, like, it it starts to frame the mapping as itself as, like, a fundamentally extractive process in a way that I'm, like, really fascinated by. These maps only exist because you are being paid by, like, a surveyor's association to, like, figure out what resources can be taken from this place. And if you do not play the game in, like, a heavily resource-extractive way, the economy falls apart. The in-game economy completely collapses, and then you're stuck having to, like, grind your way up back to being able to afford anything. Getting some flesh to throw to the dungeon so that I can get Eric back. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, And, like, I think that's really neat. And the fact that, like, you know, I have to... The game is saying, not just saying, like, oh, you should mark down gathering points on your map that you then give to the government. Uh... The actual structure of the game is saying, no, 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 no. You have to mark down these places and be going to them consistently. Otherwise, you will be crushed by the system. And I think that's really neat. I think it's just like, so, like it's these small mechanical things that like add up to a game that I think really effectively communicates a particular logic of exploration and expansion. Uh, and it articulates that and also like the ways in which the system itself begets exploitation right like you have to exploit the dungeon otherwise you will be killed by it uh and i think that like it's a really fascinating like little narrative that the game produces through its mechanics and so i've just been really really enjoying my time with the game so far and i'm honestly really glad that i was terrible at economy because being terrible at economy has like 
given me like a much deeper appreciation for the way that these games are designed and what it seems like that design is saying about the world in which like we exist currently. I think it's neat. You're failing up through Etrian Odyssey and we love you for it, Ren. That's the way of the world. <laughs> Thank you. Failing, failing ever upwards uh, has worked for so many other people I know. And so why not you? And why not in Etrian Odyssey? I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Uh, let's take a quick break. Sometime in the future, during this break, there'll be ads. There aren't right now, but there will. There might be. We signed a deal. We don't know. Like, you're supposed to put <laughs> things in there at some point. And so we're taking a break. Other people can get some water. And if you don't want to listen to Theoretical Ad, uh, go to remapradio.com and uh, sign up for the basic or foundation tiers. Just take those ads and go, we don't want them. Wait, Patrick? Yeah? Patrick? Let's both go to time.is real quick. All right, Patrick. Yeah. At 43. Yeah. I want you to say, join us at remapradio.com. Join us Join at remapradio.com. <laughs> See, that's the energy I want from the edited version. That's good. That's a better way of doing it than, than I did. No, I think that, uh, I think that was right. awful, but very funny. <laughs> that's good. Keep it like, keep, yeah. Uh, Kyle's going to put a good version of that in there at the beginning and just leave that. This just one, this one will be for fun. <laughs> that's for fun. We'll be right back uh, with uh, some Final Fantasy talk, some Steam Next Fest demo talk, and, and your letters. back uh catching up a little bit there was a little bit of news uh breaking as we uh come back into the podcast annapurna publishers of a number of uh great games uh, neon white uh stray uh, among others uh the first internally developed annapurna game uh is i guess blade runner labyrinth set between the original film and 2049 blade runner 2033 takes place after the events of the blackout nas what does a blade runner do and there are no replicants left to hunt. Uh, huh. which, that's an interesting huh. premise for a game. The Steam tags for it, because we don't have a sense of like what kind of game this is quite yet, uh, is kind of a adventure and puzzle. So maybe not so actually. Let's see. Oh, the uh, game director of Solar Ash, a game I quite liked, uh, and was also the lead technical artist on What Remains of Edith Finch is directing the project quote uh, Blade Runner 2033 is very much a narrative game so I can lean on my learnings from Edith Finch often on the other side projects like Solar Ash and our work on the in the interactive music space give us an incredible love of wielding advanced graphics as gameplay tools our desire is to bend a wide array of disciplines as expressive tools that we're presenting in the final game uh okay I mean Thanks. I don't know what to, sure that's an interesting choice for your first game uh to be a Blade Runner game but sure. That's a bold swing. Why not? I'm trying to look through this other. I mean, we also have Tuati, the new game from the Katamari. Uh... Oh, yeah. From yeah, yeah. Takahashi. Yeah, yeah, Takahashi. Here you go, Patrick. Tuati. Look at this game about uh, a kid who t poses. It's okay. Very funny. It's very cute, actually. The premise yeah. of the game is that this child is stuck t posing forever. Um, and it actually seems to be like a pretty neat, um, 
investigation of like disability and like community, which is kind of like sick. It's kind of very neat. It's about like this like kid who's like trying to like find their identity uh, while also like, you know, being stuck in a two pose for their entire <laughs> life. There's a giraffe there too. Yeah. A 3D narrative adventure game with a strong focus on character interaction, story, and exploration. Let's see. There's another game uh, mm. called uh, Photography Sim. Uh, <laughs> what they're describing as a tranquil exploration and photography experience. Interesting. That sounds, that sounds like a oh, Kato game. A cute it does look like a uh, Kato game. <laughs> uh, Cocoon uh, is coming out on September 29th. I loved what I played of Cocoon at Summer Games Fest. So I am I'm really excited that that is not that far off. Uh, Lorelei and the Laser Eyes coming to Nintendo. This is from the developers of uh, from Samogo who did Year Walk and Device 6 and Sayonara Wild Hearts. I believe this game was already announced. Mm, mm-hmm. so maybe this is just a new trailer. I love everything that this studio has made. I cannot I cannot wait to see what else that they're doing. But that seems to be the big stuff. Um, nothing new from like the Outer Wilds team or anything like that. So uh, I was kind of, I ran into somebody that works at Annapurna when I was at Summer Games Fest. And I was like, hey, and that teaser trailer for your showcase, a little Outer Wilds seems a little soon. And they're like, yeah, it does seem a little soon, doesn't it? And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <guess> okay. So. <laughs> it's yeah. a bit soon. <laughs> I mean, they, they worked on that game for a long time. I'm sure whatever they're working yeah. on next, whether it's with Annapurna or someone else's. Uh, a ways off but yeah i'm always excited for the stuff that annapurna puts out and kind of cool that they're making their own thing i guess did we get anything about the open road you know the game that was originally from the uh the gone home designer and then he left because he treated women poorly Let's <laughs> see. don't you remember that remember that i remember that. no anyway i'm, I'm not a gonna game say what's a game was it just it's called Open, Open Roads. Road? It was yeah, it was the new game from the Gone Home slash uh I forget that second one, the space one that I didn't like quite as much. Anyway, yeah. doesn't matter. We'll we'll revisit some of the stuff if it makes sense. I'm not gonna say you're just scrolling. Oh, Tacoma. Tacoma, yes, yes, yes. Uh last week, Kato, you and I hopped on the old Steam and got to play a bunch ex- hmm? I was trying to do a little. Is that a train? I, I tried to do a little train. train? Free, free. <laughs> yeah, like mm-hmm. a little. I don't have. The, I need one of those train whistles for when the steam train is rolling through with all of its demos. You know what? <laughs> kind of. We own. <laughs> yeah. We own a company now. I did expenses as fast as I could. I could file them. Oh I just. I, why can't we get? I don't expense a train, a train whistle. Whistle. <laughs> Who can stop us? Well, this us, us could, us could stop, yeah. stop us. <laughs> uh, yeah, Patrick's Patrick's hyper conservative fiscal spending oh, would stop us. Look, it's ten. But I think it's a good bit. Ten dollars for a wooden train whistle—that's nothing. <laughs> and Kato, this is what you're going to discover. It's like, do I ever want to spend money? No. Mm. Does that sound pretty funny? It does yeah. I think we might have to spend that money? Like that's how you get it over over the hump with Can me. Can we make like, it into a bit? <laughs> yeah. Kato, I mean, Kato, if we both had. If we whistles, had train and, that, and we had to bl- blow, we it had at to the, blow, blow that when the, the ten minutes was up, because <laughs> one of us isn't paying attention, because yeah. we're paying attention to the game, might miss the timer. The but shit. you just fucking, we just. That. Well, there'll be another demo showcase. Yeah, yeah, okay. They, they but whenever like the next quarter, one comes basically. around, we're buying whistles. Yeah, whistles for whistles. everybody, <laughs> and by everybody I mean 
Kato and I. But yeah. there were demos for everybody at Steam Next Fest. We did a stream yes. where, as we've done in the past, we play uh, a bunch of games for 10 minutes and then move on to the next one as a way of trying to dive through a bunch of games uh, at once and see kind of a spread of interesting uh, games, many of them we had not uh, heard of before. Uh, I don't know if we'll go through all of the ones that we did on the stream, but uh, Kato, of the games that we played, uh, whether it was one I played or, or you played, what, what what stands out? What's one you want to shout out to folks if they didn't catch the stream? Uh, there's, I mean, there's so there's so many. Um, I think um, one of the ones that kind of stuck in my mind a lot, just because it seems really wild uh, as far as like, I haven't seen anything quite similar to this uh, as far as like its UI and stuff was Rogue Voltage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that um, uh, it's a roguelike where uh-huh. you have Same turn thing, Kato. Turn, it, it's not deck. It's not a deck builder. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but if the developer wanted to take some feedback from this, uh, from this no. demo, maybe add some cards. <laughs> All right, so no, it's but it has a cards. very interesting UI. It has a very interesting UI. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, you're doing turn-based battles where there's a timeline, um, and the way that you choose what your actions are is basically you have a grid off to the off to the side that represents your backpack, and there are specific items and nodes that you can place on that grid, and then you have to string from power sources to individual nodes that do things so one of the nodes is like you're charging your your blaster in order to do an attack and that's very simple you have like a little thing that when you when it when like time clicks forward it makes one voltage it'll put that voltage into the gun you can shoot the gun and then you have to wait a certain amount of time before that voltage comes back up so the timeline continues to move forward um then you start to get things that trigger off of uh other things happening in the in the game so there's one where it's like oh an enemy died then that'll create a spark of voltage at that moment so you have now another source of voltage that you can wire in and you start to connect these things and like there'll be nodes where you can take one one point of voltage and then let the extra voltage go to a different thing there's like weird like it's it's kind of like there's certain uh, types of like turn-based role-playing games where a lot of it is uh, figuring out how to stack and combo different characters' sort of abilities off of each other and things like that. And this basically has that sort of system be- between characters and also within its un- unknown characters' like abilities and stuff, where you're rewiring all the time. It's it's just like it's it's very difficult to I think understand. Um, I think this, this one is I'm deve- still the developer obsessed the with devel- this. I want to just read huh? this. I think this might be some decent yeah. shorthand for people trying to conceive of this. It's, it's it's really best like if you go and watch if you see yes. one screenshot. I think a lot of Akato says will make more sense. But yeah. I'm trying to if I'm trying to invoke a vibe to you. The developer, uh, this is how the, their pinned tweet says, "What if Zachatronics made a JRPG?" <laughs> and I think that. Yeah, communicates a lot yes. of yes. what this game is going for, if not in the specifics, then in the broader thematics. So like that level of granularity where you're like tinkering and tweaking uh, almost at a hardware level, and then there's a JRPG yeah. uh, element to it. There's also 
I thought it was very interesting. There's like a time, like in a JRPG, you uh, often you are dealing with uh, players, uh, party members and enemies taking turns and some games will surface those turns. So you have a sense of the kind of the, 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 the time flow of yeah. what's happening in, in combat. And in here, the game does have that. And you can see all the characters, including the enemies on a timeline, but then similar to some, so how some games will uh, let you play with that timeline where you can push and pull characters yeah. out of there. And I know that you were doing some of that in the yeah. demo was actually manipulating and trying to line up characters, both on your side and also enemies in order to make, some things happen. Yeah, there was a, one specific thing where basically uh, melee attacks, you can only do a melee attack if you and the enemy are at, lined up on the timeline. So if you're if you're hitting at the same exact, you're basically having simultaneous turns at that point. Uh, that's the only way you can use the melee attack. So you had to kind of make sure to place them. And sometimes that would mean delaying your own turn. Sometimes it would mean delaying theirs. There's also a secondary... Uh, F, um, uh, uh, effect that happens after a certain amount of rounds. I think it was like 20 rounds or something. If your turn is still delayed, you get like extra damage like dealt to you based on how many s- steps you've been removed from your original place in the timeline too. So there's all sorts of like timeline manipulation to uh, stack on top of this sort of, um, yeah, like Zactronics automation, wiring things, making like making like optimal paths for your wiring to like really get complex and like do everything you want it to do in the right order. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Kato, right. Kato, right. I'm, I'm obsessed. <laughs> it's making me want to play a drag Zachtronics game right now. Yeah. I, I will be thinking about this for the rest of my day. I'm Ugh. so excited. Like there's a little gift they have of like what seems to be a single turn and like there's like six different nodes all passing a bit of voltage around and then it I'm just like it turns on all the like <laughs> parts in my brain that love Zactronics games exactly that sort of thing of just like getting the automation right hitting those turn orders getting like that perfect combo you know getting the perfect turn um, I'm so excited for for this. This this looks sick. The demo is still up. Uh, yeah, I was gonna. To, uh, I'm downloading it right now. Yeah, okay. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I figure. I just wanted. To make, sometimes the demos disappear from Steam Nexus, but that one is still up there. Uh, one uh, game that uh, I quite liked that I uh, a short, I'll do a, a short one really fast, which is just Vampire Hunters, which is <laughs> yes. imagine vampire survive vampire survivors, but what if it's like a first person wave based uh, shooter in which like you are you're not moving forward and back. I mean, you do have a forward and back, but it's mostly like you're kind of moving along a horizontal line and then shooting enemies in front of you. What happens behind you doesn't really matter. And uh, every once in a while you level up and then you get to pick a new drop. Right. And so in like Vampire Survivors or other kinds of games of that style, you pick a new, you know, uh, item, for, you know, a new weapon for you to shoot or a new buff for that weapon or whatever. And here, every new weapon just gets stacked on to your arsenal. You're not swapping between weapons. They're all firing at once, including when you hit, you know, left uh, a mouse button to fire. A shotgun can fire. A, a, a sniper rifle can fire. A machine gun can fire. There's a cat doing shit. There's a sword that's also being swung around. Like a thousand things with different timings all occur at once. And it, it's not my style of game, but it seems like it's doing what it wants to do 
extremely well. It was truly funny and interesting, yeah. and I think it's going to do exceptionally well whenever it comes out. Uh, the game that I do need to play uh, is, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trusting, I'm taking Kato's advice on this one, mm. is before playing Sludge Life 2, yeah. I am playing Sludge Life 1 Hell on my yeah. Steam Deck. <laughs> Uh, Sludge Life 2, I I don't know how to describe what these games, on some level, they are games about doing crimes. And specifically, <laughs> well, do we consider graffiti a crime? Technically yeah. speaking, yeah. do we consider it here at Remap Radio a crime? We're not telling you to go graffiti. We're just saying it's art. And <laughs> why should art be a crime? And in Sludge Life, you are like, on a basic level, you're like exploring a space for spots to to to, uh, uh, to to graffiti. And in the first one, there is a strike occurring at like a oil rig. I don't. I, I haven't played it far enough to really uh, totally grasp exactly the the setting. But you're interacting with a bunch of colorful characters <laughs> who speak weirdly, look weirdly. There's a strong like drugs are sick vibe uh, to it in like the funniest way possible. Yeah. Sludge Life 2 has a demo that if I don't know if it's still available, it's Sludge Life 2 is now out. Um, so you can you can you can get that if you have already played the first or just want to jump into the second one. Like the pitch I would make on Sludge Life 2 is like at some point in that demo, I had there's this rapper and he's in the studio and he just he can't get it together. He's like, Can you go get me some cigarettes? I don't know what they call them in the game, but Siggies. I'm getting him cigarettes. Siggies. <laughs> and I go and find a pack of cigarettes, Siggies, excuse me, and there's two of them. And on my way back to giving him his ciggies, well, a single ciggy, I see a cat. You know what that cat wants? It wants a ciggy. And I gave that cat a ciggy. Like, this game is fucking great. Oh, I love this game. It's amazing. It's just so, it's, oh, the art is fantastic and oddball. It is yeah. just, there's nothing else like it. The speed of the movement and like everything about it is odd. Yeah, but complimentary. Um, it is just <laughs> a yeah parentheses good. <laughs> yeah, it that kind of needs to be seen to be believed and understood. But it is if you're looking for an offbeat time, I'm I, I, I'm enjoying my time in in Sludge Life so far because it's only like a two hour game. I think I'm gonna make sure that I play through that before I I progress to Sludge Life two. But I I had a great time with that demo and it, it immediately sold. I, I, you know, I'd seen the Devolver, tra- I had seen the trailers, I was aware of the right. game, but it wasn't until I sat down and actually played the demo for the second one. I was like, hmm, is this going to be like my third favorite game of the year? <laughs> I need to play this because yeah. it has the vibes of the kind of game that I'll be thinking a lot about in uh, December. Um, Absolutely. Why don't, Kato, why don't you, uh, uh, sorry? Kato? Hey, yeah. Kato? Should I play Sludge Life? Yeah. It's fun. It's short. Mm-hmm. You should play Sludge Life. Everyone should play Sludge Life. Sludge Everyone. Life is great. Everyone play Sludge Life. It's uh, ridiculous. Get, uh, it's silly. It's fun. <laughs> uh, before we move on, do you want to uh, shout out another another game that you liked, Kato? From uh, that, yes. That stack? There's so many. I know. Um, and we went through. Like, yeah, we each played like four or five. Yeah. Uh, are you gonna? In, are you gonna? Game. Are you gonna get one more too? Are you going to give yourself one more? Because I feel like we yeah, should I'm talk give about myself one, more. one of the ones that you played. But I also want to talk Which about... One? Well, the, the one that you should talk about later is we should talk about On Guard. Um, sure. Right? 
Oh, did yeah. you have a different one in mind? No, it's fine. I hadn't. Okay. I didn't even thought. Of, I haven't picked the, the last one. So well, then yes, let I'll me do, do let me get one of my on my bullshit ones then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well, come on. I gotta uh-huh. pick up Dice Folk. Uh, Dice Folk is a roguelike. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dice builder. I feel like that's where we should have some sort of sound drop right that you just leave there mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm, that gets mm-hmm. inserted um subscribe um, at remap radio and it, yes roguelike deck builder dice builder roguelike dice builder because instead builder, of sorry, cards, excuse me you have, please you have dice it just hit my hand uh there are actually good. it's funny i downloaded like easily five different dice based turn-based rpg games um there seems to be a moment i think everyone after Dicey Dungeons happened was like, well, what if we did Great one of game. these? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome game. Terrific but it's like, game. oh, wait, dice, dice can be a mechanic. And like now there's a bunch of these like hitting all at once all of a sudden. Um, but anyways, Dice Folk specifically is this really great uh, mix between a like creature battler, you know, you're, you're, you got your Pokemons and such, and a roguelike where you're... Uh, the way that the turns roll out, it roll out, ha. Huh? The way that the turns uh, occur is that you roll a set of dice. Both the, the, your creatures and the enemy creatures roll dice. And in order to complete the turn, you have to use all of the dice on the enemy side. And you can use any combination of dice on your side. Now, the dice themselves basically have a couple different options. You know, one of them is you and your team. Like, your team is all out in the field at once, but the only there's, like, a person who's out in front, basically, and the other two are kind of backline. So one of the, a couple of the different things are movement based, where like you're rotating your little circle of guys to get to a new guy put up front. Um, another option is obviously attack. There's ranged attacks depending on who's in your party. Like you get a dice per character, basically, um, and you're. It's really interesting because you get to choose the order of all of these things, including the enemy's attacks. You just have to use all of the enemy's dice at some point in order to move on. So it's, you know, it becomes this little, like all great uh, turn-based things. It's a little puzzle, little puzzle you're, you're figuring out of like, okay, what is the optimal way to move through these? Like, I have to take this attack. Who, who should take this attack on my team? Do I have the ability to move them around? Am I going to have to use a special ability or whatever? And, um, it's just, it's really neat. And, uh, I, <laughs> at the end of the demo, not the end of the demo, but at the end of our time with the demo, I did like a speed run, got really into like, uh, flow state trying to get through it so that uh, I could yeah, recruit. I watched, <laughs> I watched, I watched Kato enter <laughs> like another space and time. Yeah. Gamer mode. Separated, separated from the stream and was just. Da, 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 da. Like doc, it was like Doctor Strange, like moving through <laughs> dimensions uh, as as Kato rolled the uh, dice. Because there was um, there's this mechanic that basically each level has a certain number of shrines, and at a shrine, uh, you can recruit a new a new a new buddy, a new chimera, I think is what they're called actually. Um, and uh, I saw the first one. It was not super. It was like fine. I forget exactly what it was even, but I remember thinking, eh. That one's only okay. I want to get another one. But the mm-hmm. other two shrines that were on this level were behind, like, three fights. And I had, like, what? Uh, less than a minute left? Uh, so I was like, fuck. And so I just, like, yeah, I entered flow state and just clicked as fast as I could. And I got there. And I found a kick-ass dog killer whale. It's an orca 
But what if an orca was also a dog and had a sick, like, Cubone style bone mask on its head? It was awesome. It, I I let it do one attack before my timer hit zero. <laughs> um, but yeah, dice folk seems pretty seems pretty neat. It's 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 kind of a very specific, <laughs> like laser targeted. Like, oh, you like you like creature battlers, and you also you like roguelikes, and also you like dice mechanics. Here you go. <laughs> It does feel like someone <laughs> someone spun a wheel. Yeah, but they it's like they, hey, we're doing a game jam, everybody, and uh, we're gonna pick our feature. Everyone, write down a feature you want in the game. Yeah, we're gonna stick it to the wheel and we're gonna spin it. Well, these don't seem to go together, and then they found a way to yeah. make no, they them actually all tie together in a in a way that was really really neat to watch. Yeah, I, it, it's a it's a very well constructed uh, a game. Uh, and yeah, the the last one that we'll we'll leave folks on uh, from this. Uh, the segment that we did was, uh, yeah, I played uh, Engar on on guard, on guard. Uh, which I believe started as a student uh, demo, uh, if I if I had read correctly, uh, and and now is a full fledged game where it is very parry based. It has some really great writing. I know Ren Ren activated as well uh, <laughs> by the prospect of the parry. Uh, the, the, the name of uh, Ren's upcoming memoir, the prospect of the parry. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, and very cartoon, like very, very cool, striking, uh, kind of cartoonish. Not cartoonish is the wrong, but you know, it's sort of like a, more of a, yeah. a cutie uh, uh, look. It's uh, like it's like think of uh, Sea of Thieves. It's it's in that it's in yeah, that Sea of Thieves is a decent touchstone. Yeah, yeah very, I guess stylized. Stylized would be the the, the term I'm going for. Well, I'm uh, obsessed there a little more. with this. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's a lot of like fighting groups of enemies and jumping. Between each enemy and enacting a parry, then trying to break their guard, jumping to another enemy, trying to parry them, like kicking a box so that you can briefly cause them to pause for a moment. It has just a really good feel to it. The the parries are communicated both through animation and also UI elements. And I think part of the reason that they're relying on UI elements is because as opposed to a, a, a Sekiro or another soul, like a lot of parry based games where it's a kind of 1v1 in which you're using the animations as tells to know what you should do as the player when you should time your attacks. We saw a lot of this in Lies of P when we were streaming that uh, earlier uh, mm-hmm. this week uh, over at uh, twitch.tv slash remap radio. Uh, and here it's a, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the parry button because I just saw the parry icon appear. Cause you're kind of focusing on this one enemy and that allows you to multitask in, in a game that is asked is, is really requiring the player to keep track of like at the end where I ended up dying and and the, the demo uh, didn't wasn't the demo wasn't over. I was over. My time was over <laughs> the 10 minute. My, the, the train whistle had, uh, had gone Choo-choo. off. Uh, was I, I was dealing with like four enemies at once and kicking boxes and running around. And it was really, really fun. Looks fantastic. And I came out of it just, tremendously excited to see how the full thing comes together. Sorry, I'm watching the original trailer from five years ago. I love the fact that, like, so much of this game also, like, for as much as the dueling mechanics seem sick as hell, I'm also just seeing a lot of pots being kicked onto people's heads. Uh It's like, it's goofy and, like, it is it is a physics-driven parry-based game, which I think is very fun in theory. And I I really hope that the execution comes together, because this seems, like, extremely neat. Yeah. It is. The The demo is excellent. Uh, of course, you know, and hopefully that bodes well for, you know, them actually being able to build like a larger experience out of it. But the the demo itself is is really great. Uh, a total 
uh, victory in terms of communicating like what's cool about this. Um, well, everything, but also specifically <laughs> this, this, yeah, and this. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I, I really am excited to to play more. Um, we might have to punt most of this discussion to next week, Kato. I know that you're playing playing some uh, of the Final Fantasy, the Hot Wizards smoking game. <laughs> Hot um, Wizards smoking the, game. The pet the dog five times to get the trophy. You fucking cowards. Just do it five times to get the trophy. Mo- like less than fifty percent of players have petted Torgal five times. What? Get with the program. Yeah, if you, you can, get a trophy, if you pet, you can pet the dog. Yeah. Oh, come on. Where? When? When Jill's holding when you're ex- it? When you're exploring. Um. Okay. Now is this a game where you're exploring? exploring? Is a generous oh. interpretation of what you're doing <laughs> in Final Fantasy 16. But it's, I, I've made it to this. I've made it to the second act of that game. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of thoughts, but I think we'll maybe save a large discussion on that till next week. But yeah. you, I know you were you were playing a little bit of it. What, what do you make of it so far? Well, I had a, I had a quick question. What would yeah. did you play the demo ahead of time, or did you just jump into the full game? I just jumped uh, straight. Okay, in. I was going to ask where the demo ended. If you knew, you didn't happen to play it, run right? No, no, okay. Um, I'm, I'm gonna guess I, it's. I, I feel like maybe the title card because the title card involves the death of a character. I don't, I don't. I'm gonna look. It, I'll look it up okay. now. You start talking, and okay. I'm gonna look up where the Final Fantasy demo. <laughs> well, is. that's yeah. I that's what I I downloaded that to to play it, and it does. You know, it says that it, this is just the beginning of the game. I think title card makes sense. I'm probably close to that. I think I. I think I know which character you're talking about, and I think I know mm-hmm. what's gonna happen. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm uh, kind of off bat. It's uh, at once. I think, like, I understand a part of your uh, the the way that you had mentioned it being like not quite fully the action game you were looking for, Patrick. But getting mm-hmm. there. It's it's interesting because I, I I do feel like I still enjoy some of it, some of the cadence of it, the same way that I enjoy Final Fantasy VII, but it does feel almost like yeah, you know, more actiony. But like I think th- there's there's still interesting things about it. It's like not quite out of the wheelhouse of like. I still find this uh, interesting in like a weird in like um, uh, optimization way, which is kind of how I, I I end up thinking a lot about like turns and and choices being made in an mm-hmm. RPG setting. Um, the the one thing that really got me that I didn't realize uh, early on, but some way through the demo was you have like magic, right? You have uh, mm-hmm. a fire on a triangle when you like start up in, in um, the first segment of the game where you're like actually doing battles. Um, and they like kind of mentioned that if you, you hit the triangle button after you hit a melee hit, you do a magic burst. And I was like, Oh cool. That's you. You can kind of add a finisher to the end of like a string of combo. But what I didn't realize until later, when I opened up the menu and was like, let me just look at what the abilities look like, even though I haven't been told like I can unlock things yet. A, I could unlock things. I ended up unlocking like most of the like beginning circle just because I didn't realize I was gaining ability points. But B, you can hit the magic burst after every single attack in a combo. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of times in like and this is just the way I play I end up playing these games 
I, there'll be like a four hit combo. It's just hit square four times. I will probably end up hitting square five or six times just because I'm like tapping it a little too quickly. Then, but like I'm just kind of mashing through it. And the the ability to chain into a magic thing, but then continue the combo afterwards. And so you have to actually hit the combo timing in the right way in order to get the maximum amount of damage out of the combo was like, oh, oh, this is a different type of thing than I thought. This is a different type of thing than I expected going in, honestly. Um, and that window is it's kind of hard to actually hit that combo, especially when there's like a bunch of shit going on during a fight. If you're getting knocked at by like fucking goblins or whatever, um, what are they? Most most players are probably just doing that as a finisher in yeah. the way that it's sort of presented to the player, where like you strike once and then hit a but like hit triangle, or you're doing like the precision dodge and, and like a lot of it. what you're doing against higher level enemies is trying to bring their stagger down. And, and if the, you're from a distance, you're doing a lot of that with the the the, the, the magic the, attacks. the dash and the magic. There, it does help a lot with stagger too. It's interesting though because it's like. I didn't know that it was able. You were able to just do it in between every single hit until I went to the ability. And you, when you mouse over the ability for magic burst, it shows the main character doing a full combo with a magic burst in between every single hit. And it's just mm-hmm. like, hey, look, <laughs> this is this is this is the optimization you're looking for. Um, and that that small wrinkle was neat. I don't know how much more of that sort of thing of like, oh. You know, you have kind of different uh, combo options to mix in with the magic uh, exists. I mean, there's a lot um, because there's. I mean, when you get access to some of the additional like power sets, I mean, like right. the, the first one you you end up getting is the you know the kind of like wind, the wind stuff, and like that allows you rather than to dash toward yeah to pull things uh, to you Interesting. and like you can and it's so easy to switch between those that a lot of what you end up doing is like pushing this enemy like towards you put like dashing over to, I mean like you end up doing a lot yeah. with distance and a lot of a lot of attacks can be triggered on the ground or midair so you're doing mm-hmm. a lot of shuffling you can use Torgal to send an enemy up into the air and then pull that enemy down or use your like use your dash to come up there and then like you're messing with and, like so th- there's a lot of yeah uh the the game more or less functions on a smash the a square and triangle buttons and then just like let the powers do their thing you can you can get by right uh doing that especially if you're uh, relying on some of the uh there are like they're, they're pitched as accessibility options but like there are these rings that you get i don't know if these are present in the demo but essentially are. there are these ring yeah. okay yeah these rings that um like for example it doesn't do it for every attack but i think so I'm not sure how the game is picking and choosing this, but there are some attacks where the game will give you a prompt for like R1. And if you want, it'll let you dash out of the way before a meter finishes. And the meter is pretty generous. So it'll, it'll help you in battle. Um, right. There's, there's a ring that uh, automatically applies potions so that you don't have to mess with that stuff. There's a, there's one that will also uh, have the dog do the most optimal attacks uh, as, as sort of a, a, a bonus to your player during the fight. It's unfortunate, and this has been well documented by, you know, accessibility, accessibility, why can I not? Accessibility. Accessibility accessibility advocates that you shouldn't have those options be something you have to equip. Because then when you get a ring that's like plus seven power, well, I I like the fact that the game helps me with the dodge, but I also want the plus seven. Like, you should just be able to have those on or off as a permanent 
yeah. Hoggle. Um, but yes, you are going to get maybe, you'll get a lot more options when you when you uh, have access to more powers. Or maybe if it, if it for like UI and game reasons has to be an equipable, you make an extra slot that is just for those things. Yes. The accessibility yes. slot and like that way you don't have right. to compete with other. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's just it's fu- have a function like something in the options menu, not yeah, yeah. Uh, you're being punished because you would like, you know, like a lot of the rings you get later are like, oh, this this power cools down faster you know right. like standard sort of shit that you would see in a, in a game like this so uh yeah i made it to act two i'll have a lot more to say on of it uh when we when we touch base uh, next week where hopefully i've made it through a chunk of act two but mm-hmm. uh before we get out of here let's answer a couple of questions uh real quick you can send in your questions to questions at remapradio.com um this first one comes in from an insider deep behind well not enemy lines but behind the line <laughs> over at AMC, I'm going to keep them anonymous. They put their name, but we're not outing them. Sure. Uh, and they write in, dear Remap team, you chose the right week to talk about the T-Rex drink that was offered at AMC. This week, with the release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, we are releasing a new movie feature drink, AMFD. <laughs> we're learning the acronyms here. That is also T-themed, The Golden Relic. This 24-ounce spiked peach tea has the exact same recipe as the T-Rex, although with Crystal Head Vodka instead of Tito's. Oh, it is common wow. for AMC to repeat recipes for the MFDs. Offhand, I would say we have maybe seven or eight recipes that are rotated. This is blowing my mind. Oh, my God. I, hate it. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I've learned too much. If you'd like the recipe, here it is. If you want to at home, build your own golden relic. Build all ingredients in a 24-ounce serving cup, preferably, hopefully, like something like a... That's how they used to get it from McDonald's in the 90s, like one of those merch oh, yeah. cups they used to yeah, get. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Oh, I have a lenticular cup. I have a cup that has lenticular... Uh, what's it called? I don't know. Images from uh, yeah. fucking uh, the Knight's Place. Medieval times. The what? Medieval times from medieval times. The night's place. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Yep. Uh, uh, put this in a twenty-four ounce serving cup uh, with ice, top with tea, and garnish with a lemon wheel. Two ounces crystal head vodka, sub Tito's vodka for the T Rex. One ounce de Cupper's peach tree. De Cooper's. Sure. De Cupper's. De Cooper. Cooper. D e k u y p e r. Rob would know. Four ounces. Apologies, Rob. Four four (laughs) ounces house-made lemonade. Two ounces peach tea peachy. And in parentheses, I'm not sure what this is. I think it's a flavor from the Coke freestyle machine. (laughs) Upsetting. Thank you, Anonymous. It currently works for AMC. Anonymous, stay in touch. Yeah. Let us know. What would be next on the calendar? Upcoming movies. Did they do? What did is, you? Did they do an MFD for for the fast fast X? They uh, I, yes, I believe. Uh, Which has so, an unfortunate, uh, like, I don't know, like, uh, diuretic or <laughs> laxative, like uh-huh, feeling uh-huh, name uh-huh, fast X. Uh huh. <laughs> um, the next. Big move. Oh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 comes out on the 14th. Um, mm. But then there's also Oppenheimer on July 21st. Oh, Barbie. 
and Barbie. They gotta make an so, Oppenheimer Barbie drink set, right? Anonymous, <laughs> anonymous. Please write in as soon as you get the details on the MFD for those drinks. Gots to know. Oh, amazing, know. amazing. Uh, this other one, we'll just um, we'll stay within this this realm. Oh, let me see if I can pull up the. I need to go back to our Google Groups. Oh. And pull up the questions. Uh, let's see. Ah, this one is uh, comes in. Did they write their name? From Dan. Uh, they asked, what Evangelion would you eat? And they asked this because Excuse of this me? picture. Yep, 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 yep. Hold on. Image uh, <laughs> loading. Uh, so you'll see this in the Discord, Ren and Kato. Hey, yep. remappers. <laughs> uh, in case the attachment didn't come through, Dan, <laughs> nice. I got you. It's a picture of a cake in a can vending machine where each option is a cake? flavor based on an Evangelion or its pilot for roughly $8 a pop. I have no idea what the actual flavors are. You must pick one. Which traumatized child slash mechanized mother are you choosing? Congrats on launching Renap. Glad uh, you guys are still in my podcast feed. FCGH. It's a bad. Damn. A, these are bad options. I can't drink Masato. You can't drink Masato? Well, here's the thing. You know, like fucking... Uh, Everyone gets tanged, so it's all tang flavored. What I guess I what I is guess a cake I'll go in with a Ray. What is a cake in a can? Well, I assume that you 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 pop it and then pull it back, right? You probably yeah. but then how are you eating it? Yeah, this, you, is, is, it a this fork? is my a fork situation. Fork. Are you like attempting to slide the contents of this can out? Because usually no. the point of cans is you can eat them no, on the go, can, right? Correct, correct. You're hold. You're putting the fork into the can and removing the cake from the can fork while you're holding where? the cake like a little cup. Where are you getting the Cotto, Cotto, Cotto. I am sure that if these machines exist, then they are, they are, then there is utensils included. I would hope so. But the assumption of a can is that all you're getting is the can. I love the I middle just, one. Cotto on the on the train, just like desperately trying to shake, shake <laughs> this, yeah. this cake <laughs> into the their cake. mouth. Yeah, I love. I can't tell if number five is random randomized or a, a seal member no audio mm. <laughs> i believe that i believe that i'm guessing the question mark is randomized right it's not cheaper right so it's, it's the oh no same. yeah it's, the the katakana says ran rando it's random it's random okay. but i i like to think it, it was a seal member i would love to drink a seal member tangy hey. Okay, I have my final answer. It's Ray. It's Ray. I'll go with Ray. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm 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 not legitimately I would actually pick Kauru, obviously, I think. That's where I'm going. Oh oh wait, yeah, you can see the cake. A gay little freak. You can see the cake at the bottom left. Hold on. If you open this this thing, you can zoom in. The layer cake. Yeah, okay, so it's got layer of cake. Hold on, can we scan this QR code? <laughs> yes. Can my phone pick it up? That's right. <laughs> I like I can. I definitely can. Okay. Oh, it's frozen. Kato, well, this comes with a spoon. Come it's on. frozen? Oh my, yeah. It's my phone is not picking up. Frozen sweets. Okay, interesting. Oh, is the is the fucking Is it too big? The QR code's not working for me. Damn it. Well, if I look up cake JP, maybe that'll bring up the Oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, cake JP. But it's like got a layer of cream and then a layer of what looks like maybe strawberries. 
and then a layer of cake, mm-hmm. and then a layer of cream, and then a fruit of some kind, yeah. and another another layer of cake. You're right. You can see it in the little cutaway. Oh, here we go. Yeah, there it is. Jackpot. Oh wait, I did you find that link. specifically the? We can oh. purchase. These. Oh, we can buy them. We can buy them. Fuck. Will they deliver to the U.S.? <laughs> I. How much is twenty eight hundred yen? It. That's like thirty bucks, right? It says nationwide delivery. Shit! Shit! <laughs> God damn it! Oh, it, actually, the yen's a little weaker. It's only twenty dollars. Uh, do you want to get into a curry cake? What the fuck is that? Oh, and no, a gendo. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't want it. I don't. See, there's the c- 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 No, that's I'm, not the. That's not. No, no, no. That's the. That's the magi behind him, right? No, no you're right. You're right. You're right. Those, the, that's the seal members. That's yeah. the seal members. That's the no no audio numbers. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, what? Can we get these? With these, get these little guys. Who are the? Also, oh. wait, Kato, 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 no. Kato. When you buy these internationally, you get both. I think, right? Oh, is that what they're saying? So you get the Ava and the child. That's what I'm assuming. Okay. Interesting. Wait, are these the flavors or just the colors of the can? Is the can see-through? Y'all, I think the can might be see-through. You think the can I think the can is see-through, you're right. I think this this is actually showing us the color of the cake underneath, and I'm not Oh wait, 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 wait. Kato. Yeah. You get limited spoon. Oh, it's got a it's got a twist in it, like the fucking spear of Longinus. Damn right it does. Hell yes! I need these. I need to buy one. Deliver to the US, damn it. Yeah, you get two pieces. You get two pieces in one set. Okay, 20 bucks for two cakes? That's a that's a fucking steal. Well, Kato, I don't think it's a very big. I know, but but it has Karu on it. <laughs> it's true, it does. Oh look, yeah, you can. They have a whole set of whoever, whoever. Who do you, who do you want to at the end of your spoon? That's wonderful. This is glorious. Right, obviously, I am obsessed, and I'm now adding this to the list of things to try to get when I'm in Japan. If I go to Japan soon, which I'm trying to, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> okay. Well, we said all the. If you live in Japan, can send us some of these Evangelion cakes. <laughs> the question is: Do you well, open it? You have to open it, right? Oh yeah. You have. Yeah, how long? How long does it? Keep? How long does something? There's probably hmm, sending food international. I don't know. What yeah. The, you, well, how long would it keep just in? I don't know. Like, what would happen to the... Here's what I want to happen. I want one of these. We can't eat them, because that's probably bad. We've had plenty of food safety protocol discussions on this podcast. Sure. But just put the cake in the background of your where you live, <laughs> Kato. I just want to check in on the cake. Yeah, just leave it like right here How's on the shelf. How's that cake doing? What's it look? Looks good. What's it look like today? It still looks like it still has the Kauru colors. It still has the 
Ava, uh, what was it? Oh, eight, oh, nine, I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, whichever wait, one he's got. Wait, I don't know if this goes bad in the same way, right? Like, it probably I think, takes a lot longer, right? Yeah. I do, I, I think we're thinking it's a, exponentially long. It says strawberry Expiry date. Two, sorry, I have, I have, I have Google Translate on this page. Two mm-hmm. weeks of frozen storage after arrival. After thawing, keep refrigerated until the next day. So what we're saying, so if someone, we, we can get it in two weeks, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, write into questions at rematradio.com if you can, if you can help us with this. Please, please be careful with storage method as it may explode if stored in a refrigerator for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Don't worry. Hey, cake.jp. <laughs> Please, Patrick. We're on it. We're on it. Patrick, please. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, Thanks to Tumelo for the track. Moments pause. Uh, You can follow more of Tumelo's work over at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. You can support everything we do at Remap Radio by heading to remapradio.com, which includes all the details on our basic and foundation tiers. This week, our episode of My Turn was about the Bourne legacy. (laughs) Yeah, right. It was. It was good. Uh, it hit the, hit the main feed. It was up earlier for folks who are on the basic and foundation tiers. Uh, and for foundation tier members, uh, we have a discussion about the first two episodes of Hulu's The Bear, the second season. Uh, we will, there's been discussion that we might do it in three parts. We might watch episodes three through six and then finish the season. Regardless of how we structure it, there'll be another uh, podcast in a, in uh, a couple of weeks where we talk through uh, more of uh, the bear that just kind of depends yeah. on some scheduling but it's excellent i gotta hear more about whatever the f- fuck is going around in episode six because I, I i my neighbor texts episode six huh and i'm like nah stop it bad <laughs> i don't know what that Shut means up. we don't have uh, no spoilers but we'll, yes but we'll be revisiting that uh soon uh until uh next time where can people follow you kato at a underscore kato underscore appears ren at Ren or Raven. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Kubik and sign up for my parenting and gaming newsletter over at crossplay.news. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening and supporting everything we're doing here at Remap. Uh, we'll be back next week. Fuck capitalism. Unless it's at remapradio.com. Go home. Commerce and capitalism, two different things. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> damn damn you, right, Thank you, brother. Kato. Thank you, comrade. <laughs>